0: welcome to Astronomics. this is Ashok how are you all doing well i should be telling you how i am doing well i am still nursing my shoulder injury taking some medicines doing some physiotherapy today i had a date with my doctor and i to catch up with my appointment I went to the building rushing in, got into the lift and said to the lift man Third floor and then immediately corrected myself saying, Third floor, please. He smiled at me. As soon as I reached third floor, he wished me a good day. And I got off the lift, went to the doctor. It was my turn. Seeing me, the doctor said, Hey Ashok, you seem to be looking good. How's your shoulder? Are you all right? I said, Yeah, I just saved myself from being thrown out of the lift by the lift man. He said, What are you saying? That guy is a good guy. He won't do that. I said yeah I corrected myself probably it is a behavior you know one has to correct one's behavior he said okay fine let us get on with uh, your test results and medicines he was a busy guy unlike me as a lawyer so he quickly looked at my report my uh, progress of you know moving my shoulder and hand changed my medicines, gave me some painkiller and I left. Getting into the lift again, I said, ground floor please. That guy was smiling at me. I didn't know why that guy was smiling at me. Probably I said please to him or he was the most readable person. Well, you know how it is. You all are erudite people and you surely must be knowing about it. And from our childhood, we have been taught to say please, to say thanks, to say sorry, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I remembered one thing. I remembered my favorite writer, A.G. Gardiner. He is a British journalist and author, he used to write under his pen name Alpha of the plow I remembered his essay on saying please. You must have read it. But in just in case you have forgotten about it, let me quickly read that through. Now Gardiner says. The young lift man in a city office who threw a passenger out of his lift the other morning and was fined for the offense was undoubtedly in the wrong. It was a question of pleas. The complainant entering the lift said, Top. The lift man demanded, Top, please. And this concession being refused, he not only declined to comply with the instruction but hurled the passenger out of the lift. This of course was carrying a comment on manner too far. Discourtesy is not a legal offence and it does not excuse assault and battery. If a burglar breaks into my house and I knock him down, the law will acquit me. And if I am physically assaulted, it will permit me to retaliate with reasonable violence. It does this because the burglar and my assistant assailant have broken quite definite commands of the law, but no legal system could attempt to legislate against bad manners, or could sanction the use of violence against something which it does not itself recognize as a legally punishable offense. And whatever our sympathy with the lift man, we must admit that the law is reasonable really it would never do if we were at liberty to box people's ears because we did not like their behavior or the tone of their voices or the scowl on their faces our fists would never be idle and the gutters of the city would run with blood all day i may be as uncivil as i may please and the law will protect me against violent retaliation. I may be haughty or boorish, and there is no penalty to pay except the penalty of being written down. An ill-mannered fellow, the law does not compel me to say please or to attune my voice to other people's sensibilities more than it says that I shall not wax my moustache or dye my hair or wear ringlets down my back. It does not recognize the laceration of our feelings as a case for compensation. There is no allowance for moral and intellectual damages in these matters. This does not mean that the damages are negligible. It is probable that the lift man was much more acutely hurt by what he regarded as a slur upon his social standing than he would have been if he had a kick on the shins, for which he could have got legal redress. The pain of a kick on the shins soon passes away, but the pain of a wound to our self-respect or our vanity may poison a whole day. I can imagine that lift man denied the relief of throwing the author of this wound out of the lift, brooding over the insult by the hour, and visiting it on his wife in the evening as the only way of restoring his equilibrium. For there are few things more catching than bad temper and bad manners. When Sir Anthony Absolute bullied Captain Absolute, The latter went out and bullied his man, Fag, whereupon Fag went out downstairs and kicked the page boy. Probably the man who said top to the lift man was really only getting back on his employer who had not said good morning to him because he himself had been henpecked at breakfast by his wife, to whom the cook had been insolent because the housemaid had answered her back we infect the world with our ill humours. Bad manners probably do more to poison the stream of the general life than all the crimes in the calendar. For one wife who gets a black eye from an otherwise good-natured husband, there are a hundred who live a life of martyrdom under the shadow of a morose temper. But all the same, The law cannot become the guardian of our private manners. No decalogue could cover the vast area of offenses and no court could administer a law which governed our social civilities, our speech, the tilt of our eyebrows and all our moods and manners. But though we are bound to endorse the verdict against the lift man, most people will have a certain sympathy with him. While it is true that there is no law that compels us to say please, there is a social practice much older and much more sacred than any law which enjoins us to be civil. And the first requirement of civility is that we should acknowledge a service. Please and thank you are the small change with which we pay our way as social beings. They are the little courtesies by which we keep the machine of life oiled and running sweetly. They put our intercourse upon the basis of a friendly cooperation an easy give and take instead of on the basis of superiors dictating to inferiors it is a very vulgar mind that would wish to command where he can have the service for asking and have it with willingness and good feeling instead of resentment i should like to feature in this connection my friend the polite conductor by this discriminating title I do not intend to suggest a rebuke to conductors generally. On the contrary, I am disposed to think that there are few classes of men who come through the ordeal of a very trying calling better than bus conductors do. Here and there, you will meet an unpleasant specimen who regards the passengers as his natural enemies as creatures whose chief purpose on the bus is to cheat him and who can only be kept reasonably honest by a loud voice and an aggressive manner. But this type is rare, rarer than it used to be. I fancy the public owes much to the underground railway company which also runs the buses for insisting on a certain standard of civility in its servants, and taking care that that standard is observed. In doing this, it not only makes things pleasant for a travelling public, but performs an important social service. It is not therefore with any feeling of unfriendliness to conductors as a class that I pay a tribute to a particular member of that class. I first became conscious of his existence one day when I jumped on to a bus and found that I had left home without any money in my pocket. Everyone has had that experience and knows the feeling, the mixed feeling which the discovery arouses. You are annoyed because you look like a fool at the best and like a knife at the worst. You would not be at all surprised if the conductor eyed you coldly as much as to say, Yes, I know the still old trick. Now then, off you get. And even if the conductor is a good fellow and lets you down easily, you are faced with the necessity of going back and the inconvenience perhaps of missing your train or your engagement. Having searched my pockets in vain, for stray coppers, and having found I was utterly penniless, I told the conductor with as honest a face as, as I could assume that I couldn't pay the fare and must go back for money. Oh, you need not get off, that's all right, said he. All right, said I, but I haven't a copper on me. Oh, I will book you through, he replied. Where do you want to go? And he handled his bundle of tickets with the air of a man who was prepared to give me a ticket for anywhere from the bank to Hong Kong. I said it was very kind of him and told him where I wanted to go. And as he gave me the ticket, I said, but where shall I send the fare? Oh, you will see me someday, all right, he said cheerfully as he turned to go. And then luckily, my fingers, still wandering in the corners of my pockets, lighted on a shilling and the account was squared. But that fact did not lessen the glow of pleasure which so good-natured an action had given me. A few days after, my most sensitive toe was trampled on rather heavily as I sat reading on the top of a bus. I looked up with some anger and more agony, and saw my friend of the cheerful countenance. Sorry, sir, he said. I know these are heavy boots. Got them because my own feet get trod on so much, and now I am trading on other people's. Hope I didn't hurt you, sir. He had hurt me, but he was so nice about it that I assured him he hadn't. After this, I began to observe him whenever I boarded his bus and found a curious pleasure in the constant good nature of his bearing he seemed to have an inexhaustible fund of patience and a gift for making his passengers comfortable I noticed that if it was raining he would run up the stairs to give me someone the tip that there was a room inside With old people he was as considerate as a son and with children as solicitous as a father. He had evidently a peculiarity, warm place in his heart for young people and always indulged in some merry jest with them. If he had a blind man on board it wasn't enough to set him down safely on the pavement. He would call to Bill in front to wait while he took him across the road or round the corner or otherwise safely on his way. In short, I found that he irradiated such an atmosphere of good temper and kindliness that the journey with him was a lesson in natural courtesy and good manners. What struck me particularly was the ease with which he got through his work. If bad manners are infectious, so also are good manners. If we encounter incivility, most of us are apt to become uncivil. But it is an unusually uncouth person who can be disagreeable with sunny people. It is with manners as with the weather. Nothing clears up my spirits like a fine day, said Keats. And a cheerful person descends on, even the gloomiest of us, with something of the benediction of a fine day. And so it was always fine weather on the polite conductor's bus and his own civility. His conciliatory address and a good-humoured bearing infected his passengers. Enlightening their spirits, he lightened his own task. His gaiety was not a wasteful luxury but a sound investment. I have missed it from my bus route of late. But I hope that only means that he has carried his sunshine onto another road. It cannot be too widely diffused in a rather drab world. And I make no apologies for writing a panegyric on an unknown bus conductor. If Wordsworth could gather lessons of wisdom from the poor leech-gatherer on the lonely moor, I see no reason why lesser people should not take lessons in conduct from one who shows how a very modest calling may be dignified by good temper and kindly feeling. It is a matter of general agreement that the war has had a chilling effect upon those little everyday civilities of behaviour that sweeten the general air. We must get those civilities back if we are to make life kindly and tolerable for each other. We cannot get them back by invoking the law. The policeman is a necessary symbol and the law is a necessary institution for a society that is still somewhat lower than the angels. But the law can only protect us against material attack. Nor will the liftman's way of meeting moral affront by physical violence help us to restore the civilities. I suggest to him that he would have had a more subtle and effective revenge if he had treated the gentleman who would not say please with elaborate politeness. He would have had the victory not only over the boer but over himself and that is a victory that counts. The polite man may lose the material advantage but he always has a spiritual victory. I comment to The Lift Man a story of Chesterfield. In his time, the London streets were without the pavements of today, and the man who took the wall had the driest footing. I never give the wall to scoundrels, said a man who met Chesterfield one day in the street. I always do, said Chesterfield, stepping with a bow into the road. I hope the liftman will agree that his revenge was much more sweet than... If he had flung the fellow into the mud. Yeah. I saved myself, isn't it? And I am feeling good. I don't know. Whether it is the medicine that is working. Or. Recollecting. The essay. By A.G. Gardiner. If you want to read. More of his essays. Just. Rush to archive.com and get hold of his book, download it and read it. Alpha of the Plaw or Lives in the Wind. See you soon guys. Have a nice day. Bye.